Hey, everybody, welcome in to another exciting guest episode of the Dynamic Dialogue podcast. Today, we are talking to Dr. Spencer Nadolsky of the Docs Who Lift podcast. He's a member of the Join Sequence team, which is a medical weight loss intervention company. Dr. Spencer is quite funny. He's been on social media forever. He's most famous for his memes, but he's also a practicing medical doctor, a physician who specializes in lipidology, which is basically the kind of enhanced study of blood lipids like cholesterol and obesity. So a guy to talk to when it comes to all things weight loss. And what we're going to talk about today are some of the differences in the neurology and the neurobiology of people with obesity and a new class of medications that might be effective for weight loss that can help trainers, coaches, family members, fitness enthusiasts encourage their friends and family who are maybe wired a little bit differently to help them with their weight loss pursuits. Because one thing's for sure, a lot of people are struggling with their weight and we don't quite know how to reach all of them. So being able to lean on medicine can be quite helpful. So Dr. Nadolsky and I talk about lifestyle, about expectations, about medical interventions, for weight loss and about weight loss in this episode. Sit back and enjoy. All right, Spencer, how you doing, man? Good, good, good. Thanks for having me on, buddy. Absolutely, man. So for those of you who don't know Dr. Spencer Nadolsky, I think at this point, if you've been in the fitness game at all on social media, if you don't know him, you know his memes. He makes some of the best if not most applicable fitness memes I've seen, like as a trainer, as a coach, I see these memes and they hit me right in the feels because they're very, very spot on. They're very humorous and they're, you know, they're very on brand. They're consistent. And one of the things I've always liked about Dr. Nadolsky is that he brings kind of the medicinal bend to fitness communication because there's a lot of PhDs. There are a lot of really educated, evidence-based practitioners, but there's not a lot of actually practicing physicians or medical doctors who have a fitness background or a history of being in fitness or exercise. And you have a really unique story. We were talking actually off air about your where you're currently at now and you actually went to college in the state you live in now. And I, if I recall correctly, you wrestled in college. So why don't you tell everybody how you got from, I'm guessing, high school wrestling to a practicing physician, collegiate athlete, slash somebody who's super into fitness and helping people live healthier lives with diet, nutrition, and exercise? Yeah, the gist is that um, uh grew up in a really fitness and academically minded family. My parents were teachers. My dad was the biology teacher chemistry teacher and wrestling coach brother who's four years older than I am academically minded very good at sports and but we had different body uh body styles like his his body shape was short and he had abs in utero I say he was just jacked (laughs) I mean like there's a there's a video of us working out he's like 11 I was like seven you know I'm like screwing around and he's like already jacked as an 11 year old i you see some of these jacked 11 year olds and that he, he was very jacked. Um, so anyway, going forward, you know, I just kind of relied on my genetics. I thought I was going to be really good at sports cause he was good, but, um, it didn't work out that way. So freshman year, he, by that time he was already a state champ and he graduated he, four times state finalist, two times state champ in wrestling in Michigan, which is pretty oh. good wrestling. And, um, you know, good at, good at football too. So a freshman year, but I'm like already way taller and thinner (laughs) and, uh, you know, I, you know, have muscle and, and, um, tone as, as people like, like to say, but clearly not like he was, cause he was shorter 
So his weight class was like a hundred pounds when he was a freshman. And I'm like coming in at 150 where he graduated slightly prepubescent, you know, type of thing. And just getting beat up by guys. He had just beat up the year before because yeah. they hadn't graduated yet. So, uh, I was like, you know what, I'm not going to be able to do what he did. So I ended up having to fill out into my body shape. And so I really got into nutrition and exercise to like basically become who I was. I eventually went, uh, got up to 215 pounds by my junior year. Didn't even start my freshman year, by the way, he was already a state champ his, his freshman year. I wow. had to gain a lot of strength and, and it was also mindset stuff, you know, like you know i didn't have that eye of the tiger maybe i didn't you know i don't know if i wasn't super aggressive back then then you go through puberty the hormones start kicking in i fill out and then i then i became a state champ as a junior and then all state football as a senior to to where i was like okay i kind of wanted to play football i wanted to do both i wanted to be like jackson and Deion sanders and I wasn't. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like I, I, I went to foot, I went to Michigan State to play football. Ended up wrestling there as well for a year. But then I was I, this whole cockamamie scheme. I, I when you're young, you think you can do everything. So I want. I was like, no, what? I want to go to this. I wanted to go to East Carolina University for medical school because it was only six thousand dollars a year. This is a total tangent, but I also had this financial aspirations in my mind. So I was like, six thousand dollars a year for medical school. I'll be able to pay that off quickly. So, I, but the only way you can get in is if you're in state. So I'm like, I'm going to transfer to UNC. I'm going to get in-state residency. I'm going to wrestle and play football there. So that's what I did. Um, wow. I, I played football for a year, but I had to sit out for the year. Um, but I didn't have to sit out for wrestling. And after the first year, it was like not having an off season was, it was very detrimental to trying to, I was a, a fullback and through, through, yeah, through, um, football season i'm like losing you know it's hard to keep on your weight in season and then you go th right from that to wrestling season which it's hard really hard to keep on weight then i was a heavyweight wrestler and then once you stop that you go straight to spring ball and then almost straight straight from spring ball to, to summer ball and it was like i didn't have an off season there's some people that have been able to do it but they do it like towards the end of their career like when they've uh when they're just kind of messing around so anyway i ended up after the first year i this is total tangential. I don't usually go into this much depth, but I, I love it because I can't imagine there's too many people who have even attempted pre-med while simultaneously trying to be a two-sport athlete playing two of the most like physically demanding sports, not to mention a fullback. I mean, your job is yeah. quite literally to run full speed into yeah. another human being. <laughs> like, it was so, yeah, it was so stupid. I mean, like I, I'm still trying to think back of why, like, why did anybody let me do this? Like this was... I, you know, when you're young, I just think you think you can do anything. Yeah. I was really tired and really oh, run down. So after the first year, I was a sophomore at UNC. I, I, um, after, after spring ball, I remember saying, or, and you know, just thinking to myself, I'm like, how am I going to be able to do this? I don't think I'm the, the only way I like, they were like, you also have to win your starting spot. And I was oh, like, I, I'm not. I don't think I can do this. So I just said, Hey, I'm just going to wrestle. I'm going to keep my full ride or whatever it was wrestling. And, um, cause you can't, you can't actually have a wrestling scholarship while not having a football scholarship. I was going to try to use that and then win a football scholarship and just do both. You can't, you can have a football scholarship and do both, but you can't have a wrestling scholarship and do both. Sure. Anyway, 
So I just said, you know what? I don't know if I can win the starting spot. I'm kind of like withering away here. I was like 240. Now I'm like 220 and like not going to be a good fullback if I can't keep my weight on and yeah. not a good heavyweight uh, for how tall I was. You can, there are some good heavyweights that are a little bit shorter. But um, anyway, ended up doing really well wrestling wise. Uh, it was senior year, junior year, I ended up top 12. Senior year, I was ranked top three for most of the year and ended up blowing it at nationals but uh, overall really pretty good career then i was so then let's now i go to medical school right i yeah. didn't make it into ecu by the way no they, uh, <laughs> yes this is this is another totally aside tangential story but i remember going on the interview and they i was like so what kind of people do you let into ecu i'm like like thinking they're gonna say like you somebody who just wrestles and does all this stuff and gets good grades and he looked at me, he goes, not your uh, typical Anglo-Saxon with pearly white teeth. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I was like, man, th I can't believe you just said that. Because he looked at me like, basically, not you. Yeah. <laughs> I, was yeah. Like, I was like, what? Anyway, it was kind of weird. So I didn't get into ECU. I ended up going to VCOM, which is, um, it was Virginia College of Osteopathic Medicine at the time. It's it's Virginia Tech's Osteopathic Medicine, which okay. so I'm a technically a DO instead of an MD, which in the States, the, they're identical but uh, if you go to like australia they're like they're like quacks i think in australia and maybe england and i can see that i could see that i mean yeah, it's so it's they, every do i know over here is really good yeah they don't get the same it's it's more like chiropractic types weird stuff over in other countries but here we get the same medical training and take the same board exams so my idea was though everybody's like you're gonna be a sports medicine doctor because you're you know jack whatever and i was sure. like I don't care. I don't care. I, and I thought about it, but I was like, I don't care about sports so much. I wanted to take just a, a very, um, just a smidgen, a, just a tiny bit of what I use to propel myself in sports to, to, uh, prevent and or reverse or treat chronic disease. I'm like, it's just, just having a little, just a, a little bit of a fuck. <laughs> you just yeah. give a little bit of a shit to, all of a sudden it has amazing results. Now, like who cares if you bench press 400 pounds or can run a four, whatever, 40, four, four, 40, I don't know, whatever sports performance thing we're looking at. Sure. The thing that got me going was like people lost, you know, however many pounds and they're off their type two diabetes medicines and their knee pain's gone and they don't have sleep apnea anymore. It's a little so, bit more fulfilling. Yeah, yeah. A lot more. So in a sense, that's basically what happened. So I ended up, I started off doing family medicine, which was extremely broad, delivering babies. I mean, I always thought I was going to pull the baby's head off. Uh, I, I hated delivering babies. It was like the worst thing. I was like, I can't believe people do this, but I'm glad there's people that do it, but it wasn't for me. Anyway, I was delivering babies, you know, helping grandmas, grandpas, and everything in between. And then afterwards, specialized further into obesity medicine and then got another specialty in it's called lipidology, which is the study of like cholesterol and lipids, triglycerides, all that stuff. So how does um, it feel to have specialization in the two med medicinal, uh, let's call them categories that are just rife with the most quacks? Like it must drive you fucking absolutely insane yeah. to know the mechanisms that drive obesity and, you know, blood lipid dysregulation yeah. every time you go on your phone you're just probably like i'm gonna have an aneurysm yeah i mean well so you know i mean you can imagine some of the public health type of people due to the covid stuff and 
you know, it is, it's, uh, it's, it kind of burns you out. Cause I've, I've been on a crusade to try to, you know, go against these quacks, but over, you know, over the years I've been doing this for a long time. It's, it's, it's exhausting to the, to the point where it's like, man, I don't, I don't know. How do I keep fighting these people? It's, I need to find other people that can take the torch. Cause <laughs> at some point it's like, I, I, it's a lot of energy and these people, the, the quacks can really how do you it's it's brandolini's law it just takes so much more effort to to go over and, and their bullshit mm -hmm. than it is to um just come up with the right thing you know just yeah they, they just come up with just nonsense and they cherry pick and then you're like now i have to explain why this person's wrong and it takes extreme amount of effort because they they're they're cunning they're they're dumb as a fox you know they know what they're doing yeah um and they're anyway, so it is extremely frustrating. So over time though, I started out in the clinic and, uh, said, you know, this isn't very efficient. I think we need to start using, uh, the internet, social media blogs. Um, I saw it like precision nutrition was a company that it's out there. John Berardi, uh, yeah. founded that. And you know, this is kind of before social media. And then all of a sudden social media started coming out. And I was like, Hey, you know what? This, the same thing could apply to um, medicine, telemedicine. And then you could use social media and blogs and whatever to kind of um, amplify good information and make it efficient. And therefore my patients could then learn more because I'm not, I can only see them for like 15 minutes at a time. So I started, I started doing the social media thing and then that evolved, uh, to where a company wanted me to be telemedicine. So I got out of the clinic in 20, early 2017, and I've been in the cloud ever since doing telemedicine. Nice. And then, I, so my doing, I started doing Facebook and that was good, but then it was 20, yeah, it was like 2016, 2017. I started doing Instagram and that's where, um, yeah, everybody. I started doing the infographics. I don't know if you remember that. It was like, dude, I I I very much remember like the infancy. I I don't actually yeah. remember where I found your original piece of content that made me follow you, but it was at least five years ago. It had yeah. to be very very early on. So the infographics. So uh, I made one like that was organic or what is it? Regular Reese's uh, Reese's um, peanut butter cups versus justin's organic Gotta that was like the justin's. first one I, so it was the first one i made and like i, never, I didn't make any more but it, that one kind of went viral and i was like oh, okay cool well then jordan saya and carter good started doing that and they just they went gangbusters and i and they and even jordan asked if he could use one of that that same one the peanut butter cup one and it just killed it so they started going gangbusters. I was like, well, I might as well join in on this. So I started making infographics. So he, Lee started making infographics and, um, you know, followers just went through the roof. The thing is then everybody started doing it. And once everybody starts doing it, they're not special anymore. So, um, and the other thing is it didn't really fit my personality style. I'm like, I'm not sterile at all. Like a normal yeah. doctor. Most people I like making very, you know, off, <laughs> I don't know, like perverted jokes. I like making perverted, like silly, like this guy's kind of silly jokes. Cause it's just fun sure. and lighthearted unless somebody's having a serious heart attack, cancer, that type of thing. I'm very jovial with patients. So, um, I was like, you know what? Memes are more, way more my style. I didn't know. I, I wasn't, a, didn't know anything about memes other than like, I didn't make them other than I kind of laughed at them sometimes. 
So just like anything, it was like, I'm not a natural at it. You just start making them. And sometimes people would like them, sometimes not. And then over time, I found more of that voice to kind of like, all right, this meme would work for this topic. And there's only so many topics that I talk about. It's, 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 it's so repetitive to where like, how, there's no in, new information, right? So certain memes can fit under a certain topic and you're like, this one would work for this one. And you just, I just keep rotate or kept on rotating and repeating them. And that's kind of how, um, kind of became the meme doctor. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you're really good at it. Like you can definitely tell that you kind of have more of a dark, dry sense <laughs> of humor that might not be like typical of somebody who works in medicine. Yeah. But I also think that's why the content works because like you said, there's some staleness to, uh, infographs and like yeah. 70% of my content is just tweets that I put on Instagram, which, yeah, is, those are good which too. is stale as fuck. But memes are, are great because I feel like they do break down a barrier with that initial kind of humor. And yeah. and I'm as we're all aware, some people just can't handle it and they're very no. sensitive, but th those people are, are almost unreachable, but you, you know, subjects like obesity and weight loss are really sensitive subjects. But when I read your comments, it's always like, shit, oh, you got me, or fuck, yeah. just tag me next time. Yes. And Why so are you attacking it, me like this? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so it's like very clear, okay, you're using humor to communicate things that really resonate with people yeah. based on what you see in practice, which is, yeah. it's important. It's a great way to deliver content. And I think it's one of those things that, yeah, maybe one to 2% of people might make a fuss, but it's really exploded for you. And like the number of times I've seen one of your memes and, and literally yeah. laughed out loud, it's been at least 50 times. Like they're really good. You're, you <laughs> are a memeologist. Thanks. Yeah. So the, the other reason I, I made them as well was for that purpose. Like I had patients that kept telling me the same thing. And when you're talking one-on-one -on -one to a patient, it's, it's extremely hard to be like, it's not your metabolism. You're eating more calories than you burn. You're eating more than you think you are. And it's it's really hard to tell them that. And I do, I have a very gentle way of telling them. And even still, they um they may not fully understand it. And then when I make a meme that's pretty much like in your face, but also kind of makes light of it, then the other key component to this is that I have to put the caption to basically really Cover your be, ass to be almost extra empathetic oh yes it's very key because if they'll just see the meme if somebody so first of all if they're my patient i've never had a patient who saw my meme and got upset it's usually someone that's not my patient didn't sure. read the caption and so it can come off maybe a little bit um uh cold-hearted or or poor bedside manner but it, it it's supposed to be a conversation like what wait what a second what yep. is this and then they read the caption like, okay, this guy is actually a good guy. Uh, and then my patients really appreciate it. Cause they're like, and they always say, you know what? I knew you were talking about me. Cause we just chatted and you made a meme about it. I can't even like the thing is the other, like you said, what I see in practice, there's no way in hell I'd be able to come up with this stuff without talking to my page. Like, I don't know. Like I'm just, I'm literally repeating what they say and putting it into meme form. It's so, tr it's so true. I do the same thing. I, I'm no doctor, but you know, when I work with clients and, and we have people in the studio, so much of my content is driven by the problems that people yeah. are experiencing. And and when newer trainers or newer nutrition coaches reach out and they go like, 
how do you post content every day? Like I, I struggle with it. Yeah. Or like, it's like, dude, I'm just repurposing the yeah. issues that real people come to me with in a way that is fresh. Yes. And I think you hit on something big, which is like, you do have to kind of backload the empathy there with, yeah. with the caption because you post the kind of, uh, inflammatory meme, but then you yeah. really cushion the blow with a with a thoughtful caption, yeah. which which helps with something that's sensitive, like mm-hmm. especially when you talk about weight and body fatness, because seventy percent oh, of yeah. Americans are struggling with that, and I think we're closing in on fifty percent of Americans are going to yeah. be obese sooner than later. I mean, it's over forty percent in the last. Yeah. I, I don't know how, you know, like how on time this data is but it was at like 38.7 percent before the pandemic from the cdc and then it just went over 40 and i'm like it's got to be higher than that like yeah. if we get 2022 population level data we're getting close to 50 percent. yeah it's not unfortunately slowing down so and it's you know it's, it's extremely sensitive and you know some people will be like well people need to stop being so sensitive i'm like well telling people to stop being so sensitive unfortunately doesn't work yeah <laughs> like, amazing you know like because they'll be like we just need to be like other cultures and and point out and shame people and i'm like it 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 just doesn't work here i don't know what it is we just have a different culture it's shaming doesn't work sorry discrimination and whatever stigma it doesn't decrease weight in fact it probably increases people's weight due to the stress and then um you know, finding comfort in eating food or whatever it is. It just makes things worse. Yeah. I mean, the same people that are like, you know, pro um, judgment, pro shame when it comes to people's weight are very much resistant to being judged and shamed for any of their ideological beliefs. It's like, yeah. oh, you know, well, well, you guys are just so judgmental. It's like, did you not just tell me to take a hyper judgmental approach about somebody's health? Like it, it's yeah. not going to work. And one of the things I tell people all the time is, it, much of the reason people overconsume food is to cope with emotions. Yeah. If you make them feel shitty, you're probably just going to make them yeah. turn even more to food, which I, I think is a nice segue ultimately to what I want to pick your brain about today, which is like I told you off air as a trainer and as a coach, I have blind spots and I wish it really was as simple as giving people exercise directives yeah. and telling them that they need to stick with these things while making these lifestyle changes and eating in a calorie deficit. And mm-hmm. like the physics of weight loss makes a ton of sense to me. It it really does. It's one of those things though, that it's not always enough. And so one of the things that I've liked about your content is kind of just looking at not just the socioeconomic side of things, but the neurological side of things or the neurobiology mm-hmm. of somebody who's, who's dealing with obesity. And so I think a good question to start with would be, you've got a normal weight individual and then you have an obese or overweight individual. And and both people know at some intuitive level that they need to move more and they need to eat less. And for some Mm -hmm. people, it's a lot easier. It just comes substantially more naturally. What's happening for obese people or non-normal weight individuals at the brain level that makes it so hard to lose weight or at least presents more friction up front? Because in doing this for years, it's very it's become very clear to me that the machinery in between your ears is a big driving force and it's not universal for everybody. 
Yeah, I just did a podcast with a neurobiologist, uh, Stefan Guillenay. I don't know if anybody knows the name, but oh yeah, well, uh, what's the book called? Uh, hungry, hungry brain. Hungry brain. So there you go. Clinically, you know, I have to know about this stuff. He he did more of the bench research and whatever, some of the more mechanistic. But I I, I do have to know this stuff just to make sure I'm a knowledgeable obesity physician. But the gist of it is, we all have these wirings in our body to. Um, have a certain amount of body fatness and our environments kind of lead the pathway to that yeah right. so for example so like if you look at the graphs there's like somewhere in the 1970s you just start seeing this uptick of like all the different people that started gaining weight and it's like if you think of obesity as just a straight up willpower laziness problem then what happened back then that we all of a sudden became as a culture uh, less disciplined and less willpower. I don't think that that doesn't even doesn't even seem plausible. I have yeah. very hardworking individual um, patients, CEOs, whatever, doctors, teachers, any profession you name it, lawyers, I don't know, pilots who suffer from obesity, who struggle with their obesity. They've lost weight, you know, 30, 50 pounds, whatever, 100 pounds, it doesn't matter, tons of pounds multiple times only to regain it over time and and they all say kind of the same thing i don't know i just couldn't i just couldn't stick with it it was too hard some of them will point out that they felt like extremely voraciously hungry once they got down to their weight that they remembered being when they were younger and they didn't they weren't hungry back then so basically what happens is that somewhere in the 1970s i don't know our i'd say our food environment starts to change and if we're yeah, some of us are wired to have higher appetites and, and potentially dysfunctional changes in our reward system. And so there's a difference between feeling full and satiated where it's like, okay, I think I'm pretty full to where they can still eat a piece of cookie or pie or whatever like that. So that's kind of the reward system. Whereas now we got this homeostatic part of our brain, the hypothalamus that makes us feel satiated overall. So like, Let's say, for example, I can eat some bowl of pasta and eh, I'm good. I'm done. Whereas someone else with obesity, um, someone who's wired more for obesity would, could sit down. We could get the same meals and they'd want seconds. And then on top of that, they may want, it, they may want the, the cookie or, or pie or whatever afterwards. They have the strong cravings, which isn't necessarily part of that satiation. Now, you know. Some may say this is all willpower, but it, it's think of it like an itch. You just got to scratch and it just feels like it's getting stronger and stronger. Telling those people not to sometimes works. You can develop habits that, that get people out of those situations. Like if you get people out of that environment, it works. But there's a lot of people and because of our environment is really hard to get out of. I mean, what are mm -hmm. we going to do? Send everybody to a, uh, an island where they have to fish and, um, collect freaking coconuts and berries. I don't even know. Whatever. Yeah. Berries and fish. You have, have to literally to lo lock people in a cage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's that, the that, only way. Yeah. And it's, and people think, no, they just got to actually put their fork down. It's like, it doesn't, it's, 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 it's the same thing as having to go to the bathroom. It's the same thing as, as, um, any biologically driven, um, habit that we have. It's, we need to eat and those cravings and appetites get stronger and stronger. So basically, people have different genetics and are wired differently and you put them in this environment and you know, some people are resistant to the weight gain while other people are not. And, um, 
you can see that pretty clearly. Was, uh, I'd say for a good example is my daughter, um, she likes donuts every once in a while. So we get a treat and we'll go with another family. And, uh, you know, like I'm sitting there watching her and she's like, mm, yeah, give me the chocolate, whatever glazed donut. I don't know, whatever it is. And then the other kid will get something similar. The other kid I'm watching, you know, clearly some different genetics um, in the families. And, the, you know, the other kid might eat one. Maybe they'll try to get more. My daughter ends up eating half and she's like, I'm full now. And I'm like, okay, so this, this, you know, it's just one anecdote, but you kind of see that. So when people start saying it's just a willpower thing, there are many lean people out there who aren't even into fitness. They're not following your Instagram or following mine or anything like that. And they're just eating pizza and whatever. And people are like, they can eat whatever they want, but it's like, yeah, they can eat whatever they want, but they don't eat as much as you think they are. They stop because they're full. They just live their lives. Whereas other people live their lives passively. And it's just a little bit more at a time, a little bit more. And so I think back to my daughter, I'm just sitting there watching her going like, this is a highly ultra processed, highly palatable food that most people would gobble up. Yeah. And halfway through the donut, she clearly loved the donut. She loved it. And then she's like, okay, I'm done. And she threw it away. And I'm like, wow. Whereas like other kids, I'm watching them and they eat one and they're like, can I have some more snacks and whatever? And um, I think that that's a good little anecdote to say, like, clearly there's something else going on here. There's clearly the environment, but then there's something biologically driven. It makes a lot of sense. Like she clearly has some regulatory yeah. equipment up top that helps her kind of hit the That's stop. It's currently button. working. It's currently working now. I, I, you know, over time. So here's here's the thing. Over time, there's this thought that once you developed ob obesity, there can become some dysregulation in yeah. specifically that reward pathway center, the place where you're feeling full, but for some reason you have room for pie. You're you're stuffed. Like, yeah. I'm, I had just a great big meal, but I just, I need that sweet, whatever. Sure. And so, um, there's some thought that some people develop a dysregulation there. The other thing is once people start to lose weight, they're like, okay, I'm going to start tracking my calories, macros, whatever. I'm going to eat X, Y, Z foods. They lose somewhere around like, you know, five, 10% of their weight. They're down 30, you know, 20, 30 pounds. And this is where their the hunger starts ramping up to where the like that's what kicks them off the consistency <laughs> it's it's something about like I, I don't know their body's fighting them so there's some thought that like once you develop the obesity too then when you try to lose weight your body fights against you and so from a you know again we could all just say this is a discipline problem but i can tell you there are naturally thin people that they don't have any discipline in the world they're eating crap yeah it's cr it's crazy to to have to like face the fact that as somebody who has relatively small parents that are pretty lean, yeah. um, I've never had to fucking work hard at all to maintain yeah. my body weight, which is like mm -hmm. definitely not something that most coaches or trainers will say. Everybody wants credit for their physique. And I, I've had to work pretty hard to put some muscle on a, on a relatively small frame. Yeah. But at no point in my life have I ever struggled with maintaining my body fatness yeah. and that could very well be due to these kind of differences in how my brain is yeah. wired and, and how I respond to food. But 
it's always the people. I don't want to say it's always because there are certainly some people who have lost an admirable amount of weight. Yes, who champion course. discipline, and and that could be survivorship bias. And there's certainly you yeah. do need to have discipline, but yeah. so many of the loudest proponents, and and this I, I'm calling myself out. Like I I used to be very insensitive. I used <laughs> to just I mean I was I started personal training at 18, and I would tell people like listen, this is what you need to do as somebody who's never been greater than 11% body fat in my entire right. life, who had to fucking go to blackstonelabs.com to fucking get whatever SARMs, like whatever. I'm sure they're fucking banned by the FTC by now. You're just getting down. boner pills. Let's but I was just getting anything I could to try to gain any amount of weight. And, and so here I am on the opposite, probably you know, from a neurobiology standpoint, I'm I'm on the opposite, screaming discipline to these people who yeah. have a completely different genetic hardwiring than me. And and now having lived this and worked with enough people, I've really started to better understand that, you know, a lot of those reward mechanisms and the hypothalamic mechanisms that mm -hmm. regulate weight are very different. Yes, the physics of weight loss are quite universal, sure. But for somebody who is already overweight, those th that machinery is stressed that much more it's that much harder and like those reward pathways are so much more deeply entrenched it takes sometimes it can take more than just diet and exercise hey guys taking a break from the show to tell you about our amazing sports nutrition partner legion legion makes the best evidence-based formulas for sports performance sports nutrition recovery and fat loss. I don't recommend many supplements. In fact, I think you can get the majority of the nutrition you need from a whole foods diet. But let's be honest, many of us are either on the go and need assistance, or quite frankly, we're not going to settle for average and we want to get the absolute most we can out of our training. So Legion is the company I go to for all of my supplement staples, whether it's creatine, which I get from their product Recharge, my protein that I get from either Whey Plus or Plant Plus, two of the best tasting proteins on the market. They come in a variety of flavors and they don't have a ton of fillers and gum. Just whey made from grass-fed cows from Ireland in a plant protein blend with a fully comprehensive dose of amino acids. I like to take a pre-workout. Sometimes I like it with caffeine. Sometimes I like to enjoy coffee in the morning and have my pre-workout later without caffeine. Legion makes both. Both the pre-workout with caffeine and without come with a full dosage of clinically effective ingredients like beta-alanine, betaine anhydrous and l-citrulline to help you perform your best they also make a phenomenal greens powder loaded with one of my favorite things reishi mushroom and a men's and women's multivitamin that contain a few different things that men and women might need for their unique physiology so when you think of your vitamins your fish oil your pre-workout your protein all of the things that many of you take every single day i'd encourage you to check out legion they have an amazing line wonderful products wonderful flavors naturally sweetened no dyes and colors you can't go wrong you can shop using the show notes below or by going to legionathletics.com and checking out using the promo code danny that will save you 20 percent and it will actually help you get two times points towards future orders, which you can use the same as cash. Pretty cool, guys. So head over to legionathletics.com and check out using the promo code Danny to save on all your sports supplement needs. Back to the show. Hey, guys, taking a break from the action to tell you about one of our favorite 
new sponsors, Underdog Fantasy. If you're like me, you love sports. Sports was actually how I got into fitness in the first place. And one of my favorite things to do when I'm not working out or working with my clients is watch and engage in sports with my friends. Underdog is the best fantasy sports app out there for best ball and for pick'em. If you like football, basketball, baseball, hockey, soccer, WNBA, UFC, boxing, Underdog has something exciting for you. You can bet on your favorite teams. You can bet on your favorite players in the easiest and simplest way to engage at a higher level with sports. It's so much fun to be able to do a pick em with a player from the NBA team I like and from the NFL team I like. Do you think LeBron James is going to have more or less than 22 and a half points? Do you think Steph Curry is going to make more or less than four and a half threes? Whether or not you are an avid sports fan or you just like sports recreationally, Underdog Fantasy is an amazingly fun way to engage with sports, to take your sports watching experience to the next level. And ladies, if you like sports, but you don't love them, but your man does, make an Underdog account, have fun with him. I promise you it will bring you guys closer together. It is an absolute blast. I do it all the time with my friends and my family. It's simple. It's easy to understand. With Pick'em, you can pick two players to three times your entry, three players to six times your entry, four players to five times, 10 times your entry, and up to five players to 20 times your entry. So you pick five players on your favorite teams. You pick the stat line over or under, bet five bucks, win 120x your money. So many cool ways to play. There's also best ball as we get closer to fantasy where you can draft teams against your friends or against other people on underdog for your shot at millions of dollars in prizes. This is definitely one of my favorite things to do when I am playing or watching sports. I love underdog and you can go to the app store today, download underdog, enter the promo code Danny, and they will match your first deposit up to $100. You'll have a blast playing underdog all season long. Back to the action. What's going on, guys? Taking a break from this episode to tell you a little bit about my coaching company, Core Coaching Method. More specifically, our app-based training. We partnered with Train Heroic to bring app-based training to you using the best technology and best user interface possible. You can join either my Home Heroes team, or you can train from home with bands and dumbbells, or Elite Physique, which is a female bodybuilding-focused program where you can train at the gym with equipments designed specifically to help you develop strength as well as the glutes, hamstrings, quads, and back. I have more teams coming planned for a variety of different fitness levels. But what's cool about this is when you join these programs, you get programming that's updated every single week. The sets to do, the reps to do, exercise tutorials filmed by me with me and my team. So you'll get my exact coaching expertise as to how to perform the movement, whether you're training at home or you're training in the gym. And again, these teams are somewhat specific. So you'll find other members of those communities looking to pursue similar goals at similar fitness levels. You can chat, ask questions, upload form for form review, ask for substitutions. It's a really cool training community and you can try it completely free for seven days. Just click the link in the podcast description below. Can't wait to see you in the Core Coaching Collective, my app-based training community. Back to the show. Yeah. So, I mean, so that's the thing. I mean, some people will, I mean, the, the people that come into my comments, whenever I start talking about this, they, well, I lost a hundred pounds. I kept it off. And if I listened to you, I'd still be fat type of thing. And I'm just like, listen, you worked extremely hard. I, I'm not going to discredit you continue to work hard. And if you're able to do it, that's fine. But if we look at the facts, most, unfortunately, 
most people just don't do it. I'm not going to say they can't do it, but whatever it is, they don't. So like, I'm not, I'm just being factual. Like it's, it's like, I'm not saying you can't, I'm saying that it just doesn't happen for most people. So I think it's worth a shot to try and do all the different things that we know in our best gold standard, uh, behavioral therapies and, and methods. But if it doesn't happen for you biologically, why don't we look to some of these tools that, you know, I do medically. Um, and that's what we can chat about those, but definitely basically why not hit those, hit those parts of the brain that I'm talking about and basically shut off those signals that make us want to eat more yeah. to, to, to where then all of a sudden you can do it. Why not? Why not? We all use different, we have different technologies. Now we have iPhones The I love the meme where it's like, Oh, my stupid teacher said I'd never have a calculator in my pocket all the time. So I have to learn math. Now look at us. We have iPhones that can freaking. I mean, I actually have the stupid DSLR cam, the huge DSLR cameras back in yeah. 2012 or whatever to do my YouTube or stupid videos. Yeah. Dude, transfer that from the, now. I'm just like 48 megapixel iPhone 14 yeah. pro bro shits on any camera. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's, it's amazing. And it's like the sound is even good. Like it's, it's, I don't even have a, a special microphone necessarily. Cause it's just like, this is, this is actually does extremely well. So yeah, think uh, of, one thing I, I, that really made, like I made a connection between recently with like a lot of the people who, yes, they want credit for having toughened it out. It was like, yeah. I lost the weight. Damn it. Everybody else should too. Yeah. What really like popped for me like a couple of weeks ago was when there student was some loans. student loan forgiveness <laughs> yes, yes, and everybody was like, no, you need to fucking suffer the yeah. way I suffered. God damn it. Like yep. there's, you should not get anything that I didn't get. And it's like, bro, do you, you realize like the whole enterprise was shitty. Like we do yeah. not all, like if we can avoid everybody having yeah. to suffer the way you suffer, wouldn't that be the goal? It's like some people really have a hard time wrapping their head around anybody having a yeah. easier go of things because of technological or scientific advancement. And I think the thing that made the reward mechanism click for me kind of out of the blue when I was maybe 20, after two years of basically just telling adults, listen, I know what I'm talking about. This is why you're fat, bro. Like, just come mm -hmm. see me more, eat less. You got to do this shit. And it was like not getting anywhere was when I read Ramit Sethi's book. And I know he's somebody that both of us actually like his content a lot. I don't know if you guys are friends. I, I think you guys are yeah, friends. We're buddies. But, yeah, we're buddies. Yeah. But he was somebody that like, I realized, shit, if nobody told me that my spending habits and the way that my brain was wired to spend over save, I'd be fucking broke. I'd be yeah. broke because I had yeah. a procri proclivity for excessive spending, just like yeah. my parents did who mm -hmm. are, are broke. And so yeah. I was like, wow, maybe that genetic proclivity for not saving and being very wasteful with money, like it, that I learned and addressed over time. And now I'm yeah. in a better spot. Like, you know, it's, it's not that much different. Like we have these baked in reward pathways that yeah. are kind of unique to each person. And it's like, yes, if everybody could hear to invest $500 a month into the S&P yeah. 500 and just do it, we'd all be rich the same way that if everybody just heard eat less, move more and it registered, we'd yeah. all be thin. But clearly, there it, it's not the same. It doesn't resonate for everybody in that same way, uh, which kind of leads me to these GLP-1 drugs, which yeah. in full transparency, I had no idea about these drugs at all. 
I had been working with a client based out of Florida online for around a year. And we had done a really good job. She was hitting on all of her check-ins. She was doing great with her sleep, with her hydration. She was eating protein. She was exercising actively, but she had only dropped about 10 pounds, which I'll put it in perspective, was only about 3% of her body weight. This was a pretty large woman. She went to the doctor. They put her on Ozempic, which is, I think, semaglutide. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she dropped 50 pounds in that following year. Yeah. And I, I felt some type of way about it. I felt, some, I, I, I felt like, okay, we did all this work. She was so disciplined. She was doing everything <laughs> you said. And she took this drug and it worked in a way that your protocol didn't. And I internalized it a lot. But then yeah, I, like, what the hell? But then I was like, hold, <laughs> hold on a minute. Like, who cares? The goal yeah, for her right. was to lose the weight. She's still active. Yeah. She's still eating more nutrient nutrients. She's still exercising. So she's much yeah. healthier. Yeah. But I could, I could not for the life of me, grasp how there was a compound that worked like this. And so like this new classification of weight loss drugs, they really blew up within the last year. You can't, yeah. even, you can't even get your hands on a lot of these now. I even have one client who I see in person who just got her hands on liraglutide because semaglutide is basically like backordered for, I it's guess, gone. an eternity. <laughs> sure. And there's more, I think there's one called trisapatide or something like that. Trisapatide, yeah. That's the one I've been shilling out recently. So big pharma bro over here, just fucking yeah. sell out totally. But you Loving can't get your hands pharma. on these because they work. Um, and I think the best place to start with this would be, what are they and how do they work? Yeah, GLP-1 stands for glucagon-like peptide 1. They come from these cells in our intestine. Basically, um, what happened is like the 1950s or so, uh, they, they ran some experiments to see what happens if you inject uh, glucose, sugar into your veins versus if you ingested it, if you drank it. And then see what happens to your insulin and then your blood sugars, whatever. So they found that, I mean, I would expect that if you injected it straight into your veins, hit your pancreas and you're going to have more quicker insulin release more. Well, I found actually those who ingested it had more and they called it the time, the incretin effect, meaning the intestinal secretion of insulin, okay. incretin, kind of silly. So then over the years, uh, they were studying it more and more. And it was a couple decades ago, they found um, in these Gila monsters, uh, these little lizards. Oh, shit. Yeah. I, I know exactly. I thought it was Gila monster. Gila. Little, I don't know. Someone told me Gila. 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 It probably, oh, it probably I don't actually is. Know. I think Gila, that Gila, the Gila. G is probably silent. In these lizards, they found that there was one of the Xenodin, this, um, the first one that they basically then took and uh, turned into uh, Bieta or Xenotide. And it was this uh, injectable GLP-1 agonist that you had to do twice a day. And what happened was, you know, they wanted to help people's blood sugars. People's blood sugars were going uh, down further. It was helping the pancreas make more insulin without burning the pancreas out. This was helping with those with type 2 diabetes. Then they were finding people were like losing weight. So then over the years, they modified um, these this peptide. Um, yeah, it's not the same as our own endogenous GLP-1. They, they, you know, they found similar kind of acting uh, GLP-1 agonists and then modified it to where it lasted longer in the body, longer half-life, hitting the receptors differently. Then it became once a day where that's like the liraglutide. And then um, over time, they they got one called dulaglutide, dulaglutide or whatever, and then semaglutide, and now they have terzapatide. But basically, these things are hitting these parts of our brain that control eating. 
um, and then have down, uh, uh, like down, down the pathway, they hit different parts of our brain that basically control how much we eat or how much we want to eat. And also probably some of the reward pathway there. So we had these older drugs that were like uppers, basically amphetamine, like medicine, but they're like, I took Adderall when I was a little kid yeah. for like every, every child that was born male child between 1995 and 2005 took Adderall as a kid, but yeah. that shit nukes my appetite. I was like yeah. 60 pounds until I was 12. Yeah. Minute so, I, so, so the uppers definitely work. It's just the trade-offs are disgusting. Yeah. So they, they had something called fentramine. It, it works all right, but it's, it's an upper and people get insomnia and anxiety. Yeah. Jittery. And some that they just, they're okay. They don't hit the receptors exactly like these newer drugs. These newer drugs though, they get to the point where people describe, this is what they say to me. Um, they feel like they should feel, they feel like what they imagine a normal thin person feels like. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden it's not like they're not fat burners. These are people that say that they're eating 1200 calories and are 300 pounds and they can't lose weight. And I'm like, it's impossible. Okay, so it's not possible, but I don't tell them like, you're lying. You're a liar. Stop lying. I just say, okay, you know, you're working pretty hard to lose weight. I get it. Let's try this medicine. And all of a sudden they lose, you know, hundred pounds or whatever, whatever it is, 50 or hundred pounds. The average now for this new one, terzepatide is, uh, um, it's around 21% of their weight, Wow. which it's, it, we're getting close to where it's bariatric surgery. And, I mean, that's um, like quadruple the loraglutide, which I think yeah, was like five was and a half percent, six percent. Yeah, six, seven. Pretty. It's, it's. I always tell people it's around three, three times more as effective. <sighs> loraglutide was pretty good too. People, you know, I have people that do really, really great on that. I have a client um, on it right now, and she's just blown away by. She's, she's one of those people that you know Monday through Friday she does quite well, and then because of the social stuff that oftentimes pops up where we live. You know, it's always wine and cheese weekend. Yeah. And so she's like, I had like a half a glass of wine and I didn't even touch the cheese. And I cannot even begin to tell you the last time that ever happened. Yeah. So it hits these parts. So even a, you know, like addiction type of things, I, they think they're going to start studying it for these. Because I have patients who are like, I don't even feel like drinking alcohol. Whereas before I'd be like, yeah, it's kind of like what I did. It's like, I don't even feel like it. I don't feel yeah. like eating that extra piece. Or I don't even feel like eating pie. It basically helps people do what they already know they need to do in a way that they don't have to like, it just makes it automatic. And into where people talk about, you just need to have discipline. It's like, no, some, some people that are naturally thin, they don't have discipline. It just, now this drug basically does it into where they're like, their biology yeah. normalizes. There's some, weird. there's something there. Like I do think, and I, I, get, I can only speak for myself here, but like, I've always gotten credit for having a above average physique from the uh, leanness standpoint. Uh, and people act as though I've done work that I have not done and that I have discipline that I do not have. And, you know, somebody, look, oh, well, you just must be so dedicated and like, oh, you, you probably don't want any of this food. No, give me some of that shit. I, I'll, I'll mm -hmm. eat that shit. You know, I'm not perfect. I just have um, mechanisms in my brain that make this less pleasurable. And I have the ability to stop and, I work on my feet fucking 10 hours a day and I work out five days a week. So yes, there are a lot of behavioral things that are working for me, but I, it's not all discipline. And it was once I started checking that 
I'm not the most disciplined version of myself. I, 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 a lot of thin fit people give themselves credit for having this, you know, unbelievable diligence and, you know, unshakable, uh, discipline, but it, that's not always there. A lot of times it's these underlying mechanisms that are just unfortunately biased more in favor of normal body weight for them. And they kind of, I don't want to say give themselves credit where it's not due. Cause certainly the bodybuilders, competitors and athletes of the world do have ridiculous discipline, but there's a lot of normal weight individuals who just simply have that stop mechanism baked into their brain that this, this kind of medical intervention will give to somebody who just genetically or situationally wasn't, you know, born with that machinery. Yeah. These, these drugs basically level the playing field and, you know, so, you know, what are the, what are the side effects? Well, most common side effects is a little bit of nausea mm-hmm. goes away over time. For most people, some people have like moderate to severe nausea once in a while. People can't tolerate it, but over time they get used to it. Some people get constipated. It slows down the GI tract once in a while. People get diarrhea that I see. Some people get some reflux because it slows down the GI tract, but rarely do I see much more severe side effects than that. It can elevate the heart rate just by a few beats per minute. Some people get a severe elevation. We just monitor that, but Overall, I've never seen anything like the, these drugs. I have hundreds of patients on these things, and um, terzepatide specifically. It's actually only approved for type two diabetes right now. Likely in a year, it'll get approved for weight loss specifically. So I use that one off label at the moment. But um, yeah, these things. It, it just discipline in an injection. Like, uh, you know, what's why would people be against that? I don't know. Just it's technology. If we're helping people do what they already, you know, just because other people suffered and, you know, trying to white knuckle it. Yeah, we, we live in a world or society, especially here in America, where people would rather nobody win than somebody win and them not win. People would rather everybody suffer than somebody not suffer where they've suffered. It's, it's, it is quite strange to see so many people in the fitness community who, who mm-hmm. say their primary ambition and desire for getting into fitness is to help people live healthier lives not be happy or not be encouraged that there's additional options for helping people lose body fat. Cause as we all know, being obese is not a long-term ideal health status. And if this can make a difference, um, you know, why people wouldn't be, you know, like, I, I think the, the general tone should be a little bit more optimistic and a little bit more excited about how these can work in conjunction with healthy yeah. lifestyle behaviors where instead I feel like so much of the sentiment is this is a cop out. This is a yeah. lack of discipline. Yeah. Imagine shaming somebody because they have obesity. Like you just, you're just lazy. And then they're like struggling and then they use something like this and like, well, that now you're just cheating. And it's like, <laughs> I can't even win. Yeah. I mean, so, so much of it gets, it's like, you know, obesity, is it, or is it a, cho- is it a choice or is it not a choice? And if you'd have asked me when I first got into the fitness industry and I had never worked with people, I would have told you that it was definitely a choice due to laziness and an inability to be disciplined. But then you work with clients who see you multiple times a week at five o'clock in the morning, doing everything they can, working hellacious jobs, and they're crying to you about how bad they want this and it's just not happening for them. And I started to realize like, you're no less disciplined than I am. You might be more disciplined than I am in certain areas, yeah, but exactly. they have a hard time from a neurobiological standpoint, getting that discipline to connect with food because something in that wiring process makes food 
more favorable, which, which actually leads me to a question I, I've wanted to ask you for a while, which is, do you see anything, uh, and this is purely anecdotal, but I've noticed a lot of my clients that really, really struggle with their weight have experienced some kind of psychological trauma, emotional trauma. They, they struggle with secondary psychological conditions. With your patient population, uh, how, what kind of individuals do you see struggling with, with their weight? Are there also some associative psychological issues? Are there oftentimes traumas? Like, are, are some of the things that might set that machinery up to maybe bias more towards obesity and struggling with your weight? Can those yeah. be influenced by yeah. things early in life? Yeah, adverse childhood events or ACEs that, that was actually studied at the Kaiser in like San Diego area um, certainly can have an effect and can really change the trajectory of somebody's life. So nature and, you know, people are like, you know, when I sit here and say genetics, there's also nature and nurture. Sure. Some things when you're younger, it can set, it can have metabolic programming. I, I don't know. It's, it's, it gets really complex. Um, but yes, absolutely can have an effect when I, I, when I talk to my patients, I always ask them, you know, how long have you struggled? What happened? Many will say they struggled their whole life. They don't, they can't pinpoint. Um, but other people can pinpoint somebody died, got married, changed jobs, whatever. There's certain things that happen that just trigger whatever. And they, and then they say, and for some reason I'm doing the same things I used to do and can't lose weight. I don't know what it is about it, but they um clearly now have you know i don't want to say set point but there's something about everything that's going on i don't know if it's just their brain or what but something's wiring them to um struggle and so you know psychological for sure that can happen yeah i i've just noticed like a disproportionate amount of the clients i work with when you work with people long enough and they begin to open up about their past there's like uniquely traumatizing events that that preceded a substantial amount of weight gain. And I couldn't help but realize like, wow, maybe something happened there where food became, because it is such an available coping tool, maybe food became something that you turned to and, and, that, yeah. wi and that wiring made it difficult. And like, again, just going back to the fitness community, like you don't know what somebody's going through or what somebody's been through that might you know, with, with food's ability to be used as a coping tool, somebody who's struggling with their weight might be struggling with something substantially more challenging at an emotional level and food's just available. Yeah. Um, and so when you come at these people without empathy and you think that somehow that's actually going to help, it's, it's so much more likely to, to cause things to backfire. Um, kind of talking about secondary conditions that can drive dysregulated body composition or unfavorable body composition. The two that I see the most are uh, insulin resistance and then PCOS, which of course, you know, is going to have a component of insulin resistance baked into that. And so I think I'd just first like to talk about insulin and blood sugar and, you know, Kevin Hall's done a ton of work on this that kind of has debunked the insulin hypothesis or the insulin carbohydrate model of obesity, but what role does insulin play in weight and body fatness? Because I, I've always struggled with this. It's, it's like, it does matter, but it's not the primary driver. What role does it play? Cause a lot of these drugs are actually, these GLPs are actually, uh, marketed to help manage blood sugar through body fat reduction. 
Yeah, yeah. They insulin ha- plays a role. It's just you know when I fight these people on you know Twitter, you see these freaking zealots. They're just such. They're just they're liars too. They're just straight up liars and um, you know intellectually dishonest at, at the very at the best <laughs> other than that just maybe straight up liars insulin plays a role in in body fatness but not nearly as much as how the brain and appetite uh, play a role so peripherally insulin may have some small role and that's what they play that up basically it's gonna insulin's the anabolic hormones when you eat carbohydrates your insulin goes up that's how um that's what shuts off uh lipolysis and what turns on apogenesis or um lipogenesis and so they play that whole mechanistic stuff up. But when you really comes when it comes down to it, it really doesn't matter, at least from a carbohydrate standpoint. If you um, inject exogenous insulin, you know, not increasing your own insulin from carbohydrate intake physiologically, exogenous insulin can increase weight. And there's multiple mechanisms they think be behind that. You know, partially, um, if you're needing insulin, your blood sugar is a lot of times so high. That you're pissing out sugar and then all of a sudden if you use insulin you stop pissing it out so you take that those calories that you're pissing out yeah and now you're storing them there's a, there's a few other things like that that um that may make sense so on a large and big picture is basically that uh carbohydrates the, the the difference in body fatness it's we really can't really see it at least on and when they do these metabolic ward studies that's what kevin hall does and the insulin differences, um, whether insulin plays a role, it does. We know it plays a role, but it's not the main role. It's it's mostly energy balance. Um, uh, when you, when you really look at it, it's we should be focusing on what what's keeping people satiated in terms of foods. So the keto zealots will say that their ketogenic diet keeps them satiated, but other people do keto and they don't feel satiated. So then clearly it's not, it's, it doesn't have a major effect. Like if you did a randomized trial, put somebody on keto versus one of these GLP one medicines, it wouldn't even be close. Yeah. It's, not, it's not even close. I'll smoke them. I don't even have to give anybody dietary advice. I'll just go, here's some terzepatide. See you later. Don't even talk to me about nutrition. Not that I would actually do that, but I, I could. Yeah. And, uh, they would smoke them. It would, it wouldn't be, it, it would be, it would be a blowout. Um, but uh, you know, and, and like you said, GLP ones actually help the pancreas make more insulin, ironically, and yet people lose weight. So, uh, from a standpoint of it preventing people from losing weight, um, insulin's a, a very small player. What happens in PCOS? Uh, I talk about this often. People talk about the hormonal changes that just, you know, mysteriously make it hard to lose weight. Well, a lot of it's probably appetite-related, insulin resistance and inflammation, and things going on probably dysregulate the appetite so people eat more than they think mm-hmm. a lot of, i have a lot of patients with pcos that i put on these glp1 agonists and you know you gotta you gotta be very sensitive because those you know people with pcos have been struggling with their weight and you don't want to just say you're eating too much it's 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 just hard we just don't know exactly unless we're getting fed by a lab yeah and monitoring every little parameter of how many calories we're burning it's just hard to do practically yeah that's why these medicines work they just take all the all the nitpicking and tedious like work out of it that it's just really hard to do on a large on a long uh, long-term basis so those with pcos likely appetite dysregulation you see a lot of depression in pcos binge eating in pcos mm-hmm. and there are some differences in androgens which can 
change maybe where we, and cortisol maybe where we store the fat. Sure. So not from a total weight perspective, but body fat regions of where we store. That sure. may be something as well, but um, overall body fatness and weight still like mostly appetite related. So those with insulin resistance, same thing, appetite related. I could put somebody on a high carb, low calorie diet and they'll lose weight. They'll lose the weight and they'll resolve their insulin resistance. The problem is how do you get them to keep doing that? They got to be satiated. So um, that's that's why these drugs really help. You can put them on a low carb diet, but like if low carb solved everything, we'd have been solved in the 90s, Atkins and all this stuff. It, it just, yeah. they keep repackaging the same stuff. I like low carb. I do a lot of low carb with patients, but I, I, it's it's not gonna it's not gonna solve the obesity or insulin resistance epidemic, unfortunately, because it's just you still got to stick to it. Yeah, and so much of that resistance is driven by excess adiposity. So unless yeah. the body fat comes down, the insulin sensitivity will never go up. You you kind of have to chip away at the body fat. If you just ate no carb but never lost weight, you probably wouldn't see such positive changes in insulin sensitivity. Because it seems to me, from what I've what I understand, a lot of that is driven by losing the actual body fat. Mm-hmm. You're exactly right. So the body fat, it, it drives a lot of this. Um, it can get really complex because where that fat is stored, whether it's in the liver or pancreas and ectopically versus on your hips, thighs, uh, it can make a big difference of, of um, the insulin resistance and that type of thing. So last question I have here for you, as somebody who, you know, you're fit, you stay active. I know you do what you can nutritionally. You, you, you have a good balance. But what, what do you see the kind of long-term projection for these drugs and how they're used to encourage a healthy lifestyle? Do, I'll play devil's advocate here. Mm-hmm. But like, do you think that there could be a societal trend towards just, hey, fuck it, just everybody's going to be taking these. You know, it'll become the new opiate that everybody's knocking down their doctor's door to get these so they can... Yeah. Eat what they want and lose weight, or do you think that the kind of long-term time projection is going to position these drugs to not just help people be more normal when it comes to their weight, but also live and encourage healthier, active lifestyles? Or does it just does it play right into the lack of discipline that so many people want it to? It's a good question. I, so here, here's the ideal situation. Somehow we would change our environment to where people wouldn't have to think like back. In the 70s or and before that, people didn't really have to think about it too much. Of course, people did, you know, like once in a while, you know, like you get some people that are have some excess weight. But like back before we even obsessed over image and whatever, what what did people do? They just kind of lived their lives. And that's what people are doing now, except that they're living their lives in this environment that is conducive uh, to overeating. Totally. So we, First of all, I would want to say we got to change the environment. That's unfortunately, if we're going to be realistic, that's not going to happen. <laughs> it's not. It's it's, it's not, not going to. It's as just, long as we live in the uh, incentive structure that we live in, it's, no food company is going to stop. It's not, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, imagine telling Doritos that. Oh, I, I can't. Whatever. Any food like that. Hey, bro, these food companies are the problem, but the government better not do nothing about that shit. The government (laughs) needs to do something about what people are putting in their bodies, except for my body. That's fucking off limits. Yes, exactly. So it's it's kind of funny. I I like to to show that hypocrisy often. So nothing's going to happen in terms of environment. Nothing crazy on a large scale. So 
so then it's like, what, what should we do? Should we just get these drugs? So these drugs are super expensive right now. The drug companies want their money back for putting all the R and D efforts into it. So they're, they're charging arm and a leg. It's a thousand dollars a month, you know, yeah. insurance yeah. companies pay sometimes them sometimes don't pay. I think over time, you know, hopefully capitalism wins out in terms of like, Hey, more competition, which we're seeing now. Novo Nordisk had liraglutide and now semaglutide, which is great. This is Eli Lilly with terzepatide. There's going to be other ones. They're going to, we're going to hopefully drive down costs. More insurances are going to pick this up. Costs come down further. Different countries can get these drugs for hundreds of dollars as opposed to thousands of dollars like us. Can you get them in Mexico? You can, you can. So, um, yeah, yeah. Brazil, I always hear about Brazil. It's only a couple hundred dollars. I'm like, what? Might have to start a side hustle as a trizepatide mule. Yeah, you should. I would do that. <laughs> so I, I think we're going to see costs come down. And I think, you know, unfortunately, I mean, I don't know, fortunately, unfortunately, I, I just think that's probably going to be the way we go for a lot of these people. We can, tr- like, you know, people don't want to be on medicines either. So we'll still give our best efforts in terms of lifestyle changes. Hell, like people think I'm a shill for this stuff. I am, but let's, I don't, I don't, I'm not in bed with the pharmaceutical companies yet, but I do have my own telemedicine practice. We're growing quickly. We, it's, um, uh, it's called join sequence or sequence. And so we have, uh, you know, we're all in 50 States and people are knocking on our online doors to basically give me this GLP one stuff and we help them do it. But, um, you know, I have my own lifting weights programs and nutrition programs that I try to get people to do, but Ultimately, people have failed those so often that, uh, you know, not offering these medicines as a possible choice, you know, I, I would say is, is wrong. So, you know, offer it. People don't, people would rather not have to take it, but they're at their wits ends at this point. And these people, these, I, I just, the, it, I can't even describe it. These, the, 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 the amount of weight they lose and how good they feel. It's, it's amazing. So why withhold, uh, such a, an awesome treatment? Um, yeah, so that's that's kind of the gist. I think we're going to be they're going to get better. They're only getting better. They're finding yeah. different ways to modify the peptides to where it's like amazing. I couldn't agree more and and that's kind of where I've gotten with it as just a personal trainer. I'm I'm limited in the solutions that I have for clients and there are a number of clients to whom I've made the recommendation that they look into these compounds and most of them aren't open to it yet. It's not yeah. like they're beating down my doors to get it. Yeah. A lot of people truly want to exhaust all of the disciplinary avenues at their disposal uh, until they, they give in to medication. This is not a situation where I think you have a bunch of lazy people wanting this drug. I think that mm-hmm. I, I think that that's a misconception. And yep. you know it's getting to a point where the stigmatization has come down when you have fitness coaches being like, hey, this could be a this could be something new that we could try because we've tried a lot of things. So I'm glad we got to have this discussion today, Doc. I think it's really important for people that a lot of people have spent a number of years, if not decades, struggling with their weight. I know many of them personally. If you really care about them, you want them to be successful regardless of what, you know, the ultimate driver is for that success. You want your clients to reach a healthy weight. You want them to do it in a way that allows them to keep the weight off. And for some people, this is a really, really good option. So for people who want to kind of keep up with you, work with you, uh, get their daily dose of memes, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, you can. uh, So, you know, it's funny. It's 
um, I've got had a dearth of uh, meme templates that I've been looking at. It's like, I don't see as many good ones recently. So I've, I, I uh, anyway, if you want to find the memes though, follow me on Instagram uh, at Dr. Nadolsky, D-R-N-A-D-O-L-S-K-Y. If you want some of these GLP ones, go to joinsequence.com and we'll assess you if you if you qualify. You have to have a BMI of 30 or a BMI of 27 plus one of these like weight-related comorbidities such as like uh, PCOS or um, you know high triglycerides, blood sugars, blood pressure, that type of thing. Um, yeah, I'm on TikTok too, but I do the TikTok. I like, I only talk about obesity there. I'm using that basically as a platform for the telemedicine thing. Cool. Whereas like Instagram, I talk about all things health. Uh, I found that works better for some reason for TikTok. I'm not sure exactly why, but. <laughs> it's those, that Chinese algorithm, bro. I don't know I how know, it works, but. <laughs> I don't know. I, and I, I, yeah, I try not to even, I don't even post there that often, but when I do, um, sometimes the videos go viral and I have to be careful because then we get overloaded with patients. It's a good problem to have, but it's uh, really funny how it works. It's like, man, I didn't even mean for this video to go viral and it just did. I'm like, oh my God. It's a completely new animal. All right, Doc. Well, uh, thanks so much for your time, dude. Uh, really appreciate it. And we'll have you on again soon. Thanks, man. Thanks, man.